You're listening to Ouija Brats. This is Devin. This is Liz. Liz, I have I have a joke for you. Oh, a joke? Yeah, I wrote this for you. It's, uh, what did the alien puzzle say? What did the alien puzzle say? I think I need Jodie Foster to help me with this one. No, it's, it, we come in pieces. Ah, <laughs> I like it. I like it. I don't like aliens, though. Aliens are gross, Liz. I know. I aliens think you were traumatized so by that communion book when you were a kid we all were i don't like that communion book and i don't like i remember did i already tell you this on air perhaps i did but one of my earliest halloween memories is this poor kid came to our door dressed as alf and i was so excited to help my mama pass out halloween candy but i distinctly remember this poor poor boy you know i looked at him and i said i don't want to hand out candy to that one and then I pointed oh. at this poor kid in the elf costume, and he was sweet. Like, he was being such a good big kid. You know, he took off his mask. I remember him saying, I'm a nice alien, and it just didn't fucking matter. I was like, no, bad. You are an alien, therefore bad. That's so funny. I don't even think about something like elf when I think about aliens. I just think of greys, I guess. Yes, yeah, greys are the worst. Yeah. They're the absolute worst. I had some kind of Mysteries of the Unexplained book when I was a kid, and I wish yeah. I hadn't gotten rid of it, because I bet if I came across it now, it would explain a lot about me. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it, I don't remember what the title was, obviously, right. but I do remember it had a story in it. I think I'm conflating two stories. I think there was one story where somebody experienced aliens who were like humans, but had sort of hawk-like their heads were, like, shaped like hawks, but they were kind of furry. Uh. And the person who was walking around, this kid was walking around their town and, like, couldn't really look at them directly or interact with them or, like, react the way that would be appropriate. And then there was another one where the kid became compelled to look out their window and they saw aliens. Oh. So those two together created a thing about aliens for me where it's, like, it's not just anything that's completely bizarre in your life and the fear of that, but the fear of being unable to control how you react to it. And now what that sounds like to me it is, as an adult yeah. is dreams, because that's how dreams yeah, work. totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was my fear, is I was not afraid of seeing aliens. I was afraid of aliens landing in my backyard, and I would have to look at them. And you would, oh, God, Liz, I love you. You're such... You're such a Scorpio. I love that. Somebody making you do a thing and you're like, no, I'm in charge. <laughs> that's that's the fear is the loss of control. Yeah. That's like a really big thing for me. And I think that's yeah. something Stephen King does really effectively is stories in which you lose control for various reasons, whether it's like Gerald's Game or The Shining or yeah. stuff where, where your normal avenues of help are cut off, mm -hmm. but also... The feeling of, oh, God, this horrible thing is happening only to me. That's something he oh, used so effectively yeah. in It, is that It could appear to you in a room full of people and make you have to have this confrontation alone in a crowd. And that was terrifying. I totally forgot that. It has been so long since I read It, and I haven't seen the, the remake of it. Oh, oh God, no. God, no, no, no. I hate that idea. Oh, I really mm -hmm. hate that idea because then, you know, of course, that feeds into our, I think, societal fears about mental illness, too. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Not only the loss of control, but the I have to deal with this thing that in the Stephen King universe has a real outcome. You know, it's not a mental mm -hmm. health break. It's like an actual paranormal entity that you have to battle 
alone in a crowd. And it can be so mundane, but so evil, Mm because that's how it comes after. I can't remember anybody's name in any book I've ever read, but the guy (laughs) who stayed in Derry, and he's in the library, and, like, it is writing horrible messages on balloons and sending them down from the upper level of the library. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Why is that worse than something chasing you? Why is it? Oh, God, it's just that, like, gut-wrenching, you can see the bad thing coming, but it's still a mile away. But you know, no matter how fast you run you can't get away from it oh it's just get it over with get it just yeah rip that bandaid off kill me do whatever you're gonna do you awful clown monster right right because fighting something you're like okay i'm fighting for my life but just like a balloon coming towards right. you you're like ah uh, right i don't know yeah i guess in the anyway. next five minutes a terrible thing will happen cool yeah you're like shit i'm in it now but i don't know what form it's going to take and that's making it all worse <laughs> yeah right do i do some karate yeah. on this shit do i pull out a <laughs> knife on this shit do i just sit down and cry probably yeah. that one that's probably, probably what I would yeah. do. I'll pull out a knife and then I'll sit down and cry. Uh-huh. Yeah. With my knife. <laughs> I'll die looking prepared. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> They'll think I was really heroic and I did a Custer's Last Stand when, no, <laughs> just sat down and cried. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what were you going to tell me about? Welcome to my trauma. <laughs> I want to talk to you about two fairly famous modern UFO sightings, and they're both from Washington. Good. And the reason I'm, I'm willing to talk to you about this is because it kind of focuses on the sightings of the crafts, not on the sightings oh. of actual aliens. So, okay. like, I can talk to you about fucking metal ships all day long. That has nothing to do with greys. It has nothing to do with, like, these praying mantis-looking creatures. So I'm good. You only like to talk about close encounters of the first kind. Yes. Well, these two encounters, one of them is an air quotes encounters because one was a hoax. Oh, okay. I won't tell you which until I'm done telling you about both of them. But these two encounters happened about three days apart in 1947 in Western Washington. And they're both famous because they set the tone for modern day UFO sightings. Yeah, I was going to say 1947 was a big year for UFOs. Was a big year for UFOs, wasn't it? You know, we're on the the very tail end of the Foo Fighters that we had seen or had been reported in World War II, of course, and then we're coming right up on Roswell. Yeah. Uh, These two incidents, like I said, one happened June 21st, the other was June 24th, 1947, in Pacific Northwestern Washington. I'll start with the second one, June 24th. This pilot by the name of Kenneth Arnold was flying near Mount Rainier, and he saw what he later reported were nine shiny, unidentified objects flying in clear skies about 10,000 feet, which was the level he was flying at, around Mount Rainier. Hmm. So broad daylight. Broad daylight. It's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, actually. And uh, like I said, clear skies, he looks out his window and he sees this glint and he freaks out for a moment because he's like, holy shit, I'm a lot closer to an airplane that I didn't realize was there than I thought. Oh, my God. Uh, Let me let me check this out. And he starts looking around and he sees a DC-4, which is a large aircraft. He's in just like a little um, I don't know if it was a two seater, but he's in like a little puddle jumper plane. You know, he's only flying at 10K. Uh, he sees what is he flying for? Is he just on patrol? Or? No, he's a he's a commercial pilot. So he was making a run between Idaho and then he heard over the radio that in the area, the Air Force was they had a reward for a missing plane of theirs. So he's looking kind of scanning for wreckage when he's 
he's he's making this be kind of a slight detour toward his next actual stop, which is in Yakima. So, oh, okay. So he's by himself. But he's by himself. Yeah. So he's in his little tiny light commercial plane. He was going to go to Yakima from Boise, and he goes, "Well, I'm just going to buzz around Mount Rainier and see if I can see this downed aircraft for the reward before I go to." Yakima, and then once I stop there, I have another flight to go to Pendleton, Oregon. So he's just making little commercial stops of of cargo all over the place. Got it. He's a drug dealer. He's a total drug dealer. Absolutely. (laughs) Actually, apparently Kenneth Arnold, uh, (laughs) by the time he dies in the the 60s of colon cancer, he clocks over 9,000 commercial hours of flight time. He's a very... uh, He's a very good pilot, very credible witness in terms of seeing things in the air and knowing what they are. And maybe I've already spoiled it, but this is the one that's credible. The second one is the hoax. He's flying. I tell you, he sees this thing glinting Uh and he goes, well, you know, am I too close to a plane? No, I can see that there's this DC-4. It's about 15 miles away. And I expected that to be there. That was on the flight path. But these things, they look like maybe they're 25 miles away because they're really close to Mount Rainier. And I know that Mount Rainier is about 25 to 30 miles from where we are. So he rocks his plane back and forth to see, is this glint just a a trick of the eye? Is it a reflection on his own cockpit window? No, that's Uh not it. He can still see them. So he takes his glasses off. Is it his own own eyeglasses? No, that's not doing it either. So because he's Mm -hmm. only 10,000 feet up, he can roll down a window. I didn't know you could be a pilot if you needed glasses. Uh, apparently. I mean, he's not a he's not an Air Force pilot. Yeah, I guess. You okay, know. That's probably what I'm thinking. Of. Yeah. Okay, so he rolls down the window. He rolls down the window at 10,000 feet. And he still sees these glints. And he's like, okay, so it's clearly something that's flying about my level, about 25 miles away. It's not a reflection from anything I've got. And he, he says, when he's reporting about it later, that it's like sunlight flashing off a mirror. I mean, it's a very intense glint. Yeah. So it's either sunlight reflecting off of something or it's something generating its own light source. The more he looks, the more he realizes that there's actually nine objects and they're they're flying in a long chain like the side of a V of geese. Oh, okay. Uh, It's called flying an echelon formation, apparently. So it's when flying objects, usually you see it in fighter planes, but they're stepped backward diagonally. So they're not little duckling geese. They're glancing off in a V shape. So he notices that they're flying in this echelon and he estimates that they're about four miles between the ninth one and the first one. All of them, but one are these convex shapes. The very now what we know is classic flying saucer shapes, but he says one is crescent shaped kind of like a fat moon. Hmm. And he later described them as skipping like saucers across water. I think that's kind of a weird way to describe something because I've never skipped a saucer across water. I don't understand. Yeah, that's, that's an odd mixed metaphor. Yeah, I don't understand that as a description, but it it's what he described them as. And so actually, when he reported this later to the media, him saying they skipped like saucers across water in the telephone game that is reporting that became flying like saucers to flying in a saucer-like fashion to flying saucers. I see. Okay. Saucer has already stopped sounding like a word. Saucer. (laughs) It also sounds like it could be an insult. You total saucer. 
Yeah, you're such a saucer. You're such a saucer. saucer. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm also trying to say, like, is he saying that they're gliding with no visible means of propulsion? Or is he saying they're kind of bouncing and skipping? What I think he's saying is that they're kind of bouncing and skipping. Because when he... That's weird. He talks later about how they're, they're moving horizontally, will occasionally flip on their sides in a formation to be, you know, kind of... So, like, they're going like frisbees. Just kind of mm-hmm. gently like vroom, 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 you know, hitting the surface of the air. And then every now and then go on their sides in formation and then go back to being on their 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 stomachs, I guess. But he says they weave like the tail of a Chinese kite, which to me means they're kind of going up and down a little bit, you know. They're not totally yeah. just cutting through the air straight. They're up and down a little bit. And he notices that they're kind of playing they're ducking in and around these mountain peaks but they're all doing it together arnold's thought is not extraterrestrials arnold's thought is i'm seeing the military test some kind of new equipment and this is really fucking cool i'm really interested in this i myself am a pilot i want to know how the fuck the military came up with these you know pie pans taped together that are (laughs) skipping through the air this is a lot of maneuverability a lot of maneuverability what I, I want to know more about this. So when he lands in Yakima, he talks to his buddy, who's also the general manager of the airport. And he's like, I just saw the coolest thing. I think it's the military testing this new equipment. What the fuck? What do you think it is? Do you know what this is? And the the general manager is like, nope, never heard of it. You weirdo. Get out of here. Go on to your <laughs> your next stop. But the general manager calls all of his buddies in Pendleton, Oregon. So by the time Arnold stops in Oregon... Everyone there is like, dude, we got a call from our buddy in Yakima. What the fuck did you see? Tell us all mm-hmm. about it. Oh. So now the Arnold didn't set out to like alert the media to this weird thing yeah. he saw. He was just telling his pilot and airport mm-hmm. friends who then were like, well, this is cool. We're going to tell everybody. So the poor guy now lands at... Oregon at like five o'clock and he's got a host of airport friends and media saying, so what exactly did you see? Why don't, why don't you tell (laughs) us about it? Poor guy has told aviation friends, some pilot friends, the news starts wanting to hear about it. And he's telling the news, like, look, my wife hasn't even heard me say this story. She's (laughs) reading about it in the newspapers because of y'all. I don't know what the hell to tell you other than I saw these kind of weird things, and now that the story has gotten out, and I've called pilot friends, you know, the Army's saying it wasn't them. The Air Force is saying it wasn't them. He had uh, letters reach him and phone calls reach him from preachers saying, you know, it's end of days. I'm (laughs) so glad you reported on this so that I can alert my flock. He's got people writing to him saying... You know, his words, again, not to make light of mental health, but people he kept saying were calling him a screwball, mm-hmm. uh, thinking that he's seeing things and reporting that. Uh, and then he's also got folks saying, you know, actually, I've seen something similar, and I'm really glad to know I'm not alone. Whoa. The seeing things that are similar is kind of the the good part and the bad part for the poor guy. Because he, of course, is attracting not only, you know, people who are genuine and saying, I saw cool stuff, too, and I want to share it with you. He's also getting um, letters and phone calls from folks who are now hoaxing. Yeah. 
Some people just want to be a part of something. <laughs> just, just let me into your magical world. <laughs> yeah. Which I feel like is something, I mean, you see kind of across, I mean, you see copycats across whatever is reported in the media, but because we're doing a paranormal podcast, I think you and I are used to researching initial incidents and then finding a whole lot of paranormal copycats. Like when somebody reports that they saw Bigfoot. Yeah. You see that there's a huge like uptick in Bigfoot sightings. And yeah, I think that's why there's no hotel that has just one ghost. If it's got a decent like mm-hmm. amount of people visiting it, they always have at least five. Oh, yeah. There's someone in the parlor. There's someone in at least a room. There's probably someone in the kitchen. So like I said, we've got copycats. People are seeing UFOs right and left after this story hits the papers. And one report that makes its way to Arnold is what's now known as the Maury Island Incident. Maury Island is one of the islands in the Puget Sound chain, and it's one of the the southernmost islands in that whole Puget Sound bay. Okay. And what happened was Arnold had talked to Raymond Palmer, who is a man who at the time was editing Amazing Stories magazine, which was, you know, a (laughs) collection of, it sounds like a magazine I would have loved, but of course it's that sensational, like, paranormal stuff, but also... I survived in the wilderness for 16 days, you know. But Palmer got contacted by two men, Fred Christman and Harold Dahl. And they say they had a UFO encounter just a few days before Arnold did in a really similar area. And what's more is they have proof. They have physical proof of this Mm -hmm. encounter. So Palmer contacts Arnold and says, you totally got to get in touch with Chrisman and Dahl. They can corroborate your story with their own story and physical evidence. So you've got two really well-intentioned guys, Raymond Palmer, the editor, and Arnold, the guy who had this, you know, 10,000 foot experience. And Mm -hmm. Arnold hooks up with uh, Chrisman and Dahl to do an interview. And Fred Chrisman, he's doing most of the talking. He says that he and Dahl were harbor patrolmen. Uh, and on June 21st, they had their own encounter. They said that they saw a donut-shaped craft dump piles of slag-like material on a Maury Island beach. And, oh. and what's more is the craft actually dumped material on the boat that they were in. Whoa. And that that material, Liz, not only broke a worker's arm, it killed a dog that was on their boat. Oh, no. I would have the name of the dog for you if this didn't turn out to be a hoax. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We already know that this is a hoax. I've already blown this, the cover of this story. But (laughs) what they further say is that after this incident occurred... They were approached by a man in black, very government-looking, spook-looking dude in his black suit, his sunglasses, and he said, don't tell anyone about this incident, it's bigger than you realize, and he left. But wouldn't you know it, Chrisman and Dahl managed to keep a piece of metal that was dumped on the boat for testing. Just one piece out of enough to kill a dog? Apparently. And I don't know, did the dog eat it? Did the dog get crushed by it? Did the dog... Was it head or... Yeah, was it radioactive or or what? Uh, so no details are forthcoming. But what we know is they give this piece to Arnold, and Arnold is like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I have a piece of metal f- dumped from a craft similar to what I saw. Now all the folks that are like, dude, you're making this up. 
you're spoofing us. I can point to this piece of evidence. It's kind of going to clear my name with the folks that think I'm full of shit. So he calls up a friend of his who's a lieutenant. He's an Air Force intelligence officer. His name is Lieutenant Frank Brown. And he says, hey, I think I've got some physical evidence of what it was I saw. I know you said the Army was not involved and none of us are really sure what this craft was. So can I give you this medal for you guys to test? And you'll tell mm-hmm. me if it was yours or if it's something. And Lieutenant Brown goes, yeah, cool. The Army's interested in investigating this because as far as I know, it's not ours. So Lieutenant Brown and another intelligence officer actually get sent up from California. I mean, this is official uh, oh, Army yeah. business. They get sent up to Arnold to test this material. And listen, they test it, and it's just plain old aluminum. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not an exotic material that Chrisman and Dahl have given Arnold. But Lieutenant Brown, you know, he's a friend. He he doesn't want to embarrass Arnold. So they leave. The two lieutenants peace out without telling Arnold that he's been duped. They don't want to embarrass him. They don't want him to feel bad. So they're just like, maybe if we quietly leave, I don't know. He'll forget the whole thing. I don't know what I don't know what the logic was. And we can't ask them, Liz, because on their way back to California, their plane crashes and these two army lieutenants <gasps> die. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, how, wait, how do we know that's what they were thinking? Uh, it was it was in their report to the army. So, like, they officially reported to the army, like, it's nothing. It's just aluminum. Donezo. Did they officially report and we're not going to say anything because we don't want to make them feel bad? <laughs> I don't actually know that. I know mm-hmm. that this is this is what several websites and news articles I'm reading have reported, was that they didn't want to make him feel bad. Okay. Um, I'll, <laughs> I guess... You're my skeptic. I don't know why we know that that's what they thought. Yeah, that sounds uncharacteristic. Mm. Like, I didn't know them personally. But I could just see so many other explanations for they didn't discuss it with him and got on a plane. And not all of them are sinister. Some of it is just like, we have to check about how much we can tell you about this. Or we got to catch our flight or I don't know. I can definitely, in the show notes, put uh, what source I'm getting this information from. Because, I, you know, like I said, I read an article from, uh, from the Spokesman, an article from the Seattle PI, uh, History.com talks about hmm. this. But I don't know where we know this for sure from. Like, I don't know yeah. where we know that's what the lieutenant said. Is it correct to say that the incident with this pilot is supposed to have happened after this the boat gets stuff dumped on it? Is that what happened? Or yeah. does the boat dumping happened? Okay. Yeah. So the pilot's encounter happened after, but he didn't hear about their stuff until after his his incident became widely reported. Correct. Correct. Okay. I'm sorry if I'm not clear on that. The boat dumping incident happened June 21st. The pilot saw his nine shiny objects June 24th. But he didn't get any reports of other UFOs until after June 24th, you know, when he's telling his friends and then telling the media and then all these other people are coming forward saying, oh, yeah, I've seen something similar. Mm -hmm. But this one probably stands out because it's in the same area, very close to the same time and has physical evidence. And has physical evidence. 
that, like, the fact that it's just aluminum is not as well case closed as it could be. Like, there's, I'm not an expert, but there's only so many metals in the world. Like, I mean, what's aluminum made of? It's like aluminium. Aluminium. Uh, it's made of, it it's made? made of aluminum. I mean, aluminum is its own element, right? I think you're right. Yeah. The chief ore yeah. is bauxite. Nope. Uh, it is so chemically reactive that native specimens are rare and limited to extreme reducing environments. I don't know what that means. Nope. Instead, it is found combined in over 270 different minerals. So I'm not an expert, like I said, but it seems like the kind of thing where if it's the third most abundant element after oxygen and silicon and the most abundant metal in our Earth's crust... I wouldn't completely rule out that aliens would also have access to aluminum. Like, they probably weren't testing it to say, like, ah, yes, this is Earth aluminum from Nevada. <laughs> from the Earth. Well, fortunately, for our purposes, we can wrap this up pretty neatly, because after the two lieutenants die, Chrisman and Dahl say, oh, fuck, we made the whole thing up. Why, gentlemen, why? <laughs> this is Earth aluminum. We made this whole the fucking story up. Probably never Where was a dog. The, was there ever a there dog? There was never a dog, you assholes. Uh, made it up, Liz. They did it. <gasps> they did it all for the gram. They did it all for <laughs> the likes. But because we have two army lieutenants who are dead, and the story has already disseminated that there was a dude in a black suit who was like, "Don't fucking tell anyone." We've Which got the, you knew too much. And we're killed for it, and the men in black trope now out in popular culture. And that's where both are born. You can trace wow. the men in black idea back to this hoax. Damn them. I mean, Damn. it's great, but also, what the hell? What the hell, right? I think it's really fascinating that we have this short, little, tiny period in UFO history that spawned flying saucer as a term. And that spawned yeah. Men in Black as a trope. And they both originate from one real, one hoax story in Washington. Yes. Although just to prevent people from messaging us, one credible and one hoax. I don't know. I, I think you can choose to believe the pilot. I'm so choosing to believe him. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. One. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, there's no independent verification of what no. he went through, but he doesn't have a lot of motive to lie. No. I mean, that really sells it for me is that he doesn't, A, have any context for what he's talking about. Right. So it's not like these days you'd be like, I saw a UFO. Like, that's not part of it. It's kind of like going back into the Bigfoot lore, and you're like, well, I can't just look for Bigfoot before a certain point, but I can look for giant hairy men or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> just grinder, I guess. But <laughs> the... Um... <laughs> yes, please. Oh, I should have been a gay uh, man. Uh, but with this, he's not trying to get attention. He's not doing much except gossiping and sounds oh, like he's just shooting the shit before he goes on the next flight because he's intrigued by army technology definitely yeah or air force technology yeah by by technology by flight and in general yeah kenneth mm. arnold for sure it sounds like was just telling his friends this weird thing he saw just like i would tell you about a bizarre centipede i found and yeah. then friends alerted the media and then he's like okay fine whatever i'll tell you about it and then he starts working with Arnold Palmer because he's like, well, I really want to know what this was. I Was it extra cheap? Wait, who? Uh, did I say Arnold Palmer? Yeah. The, yes, you did. Yeah, I meant, <laughs> and they develop an amazing beverage. I meant, and they hit delicious. I meant Raymond Palmer. Okay. Yeah. 
it's, he's Arnold, and the other guy Arnold is Palmer. Wayne. God damn it. <laughs> oh, my God. Talking too fast. Anyway. Yes, so he's talking to Raymond Palmer. They're both going, you know, is it extraterrestrial or is it a government cover-up? Or is it, like, who the fuck knows what it is? The point is, it's this weird thing I saw and I want people to know about it. And then five Mm. years on, ten years on, people are still trying to contact Kenneth Arnold for (sighs) interviews. And he's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, fuck all y'all. I just want to fly my plane and have my wife and my four kids in Boise, Idaho. That's all I want. So anyway, it lends credibility to me anyway, in that his story was just like a one-off thing told to friends, wasn't Mm -hmm. seeking fame and fortune, and eventually goes, I don't actually, this was a blip in my life. Yeah, I saw something weird and I told some dudes about it, and you've really heard everything I have to say. Yeah. Like, he didn't try to become a, a famous UFO con- like convention lecturer no. or something. No. He was like, yep, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. Anyway. He ends up writing a book with Palmer on unidentified things, but again, his idea that they're extraterrestrial in origin is just, like, one of many things they could be. He's like, I'm not going to discount it, but that's not what mm-hmm. I'm going to. I really thought it was, like, new experimental military aircraft. Did you get a sense from him how big he thought the craft were? Yeah, so he worked with some friends from the army, and again, he thought uh, there was another incident about 10 days later where it was a group of army folks seeing things, apparently, and I didn't research into that one, but using their estimates on size and then his estimates on distance, they... He thought it was a little bit bigger than the plane that he saw out his window. Um, and then together with this other group's 10 days later sightings, they estimated it was 140 to 200 feet long. Hmm. Uh, the other interesting thing about his sighting was he was able to watch them recede from view. They don't like to shoot up into space. They actually flew from Mount Rainier to Mount, uh, it was either Mount Adams or Mount Baker in the distance, he was able to time them from where they were at Mount Rainier to where they go in the distance to this other mountain, and he stops being able to see them. And their flight time from one to the other, knowing the distance between the two, meant that he thought they were traveling about 1,200 miles an hour, which is supersonic. And at the time, in the 40s, we didn't have planes that could go supersonic. So that was what was most exciting to him, was thinking, like, no fucking way. The army cracked it. We've figured out flight that's that fast. Cool. That's very fast, yeah. And I looked it up, and that size of 140 to 200 feet, because, you know, as we discussed with the big cats thing, oh, I have nothing. No, no, no um, right. That's a little smaller than the wingspan of a Boeing 747. Yeah, yeah so these would be in the range of human commercial aircraft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that is the cool thing about those incidents or that specific period of time. But when I was researching this, of course, I'm looking at other Washington state UFO things. And there was yeah. a really recent article that came out in the Seattle Pi, uh, Seattle PI that was talking about the findings of a book called UFO Sightings Desk Reference. 
<laughs> you just cannot get up to the shelf if you have to look up something about UFOs. No. You need it on your on desk. On your desk. This is the Grey's Anatomy of UFO sightings. It lives on your desk. You flip open to it. It's I love it's written by Cheryl and Linda Costa, who are married. They're wives. When I'm just like, oh, my gabies, my weirdo gabies looking at UFOs. But they ended up looking at data collected from 2001 to 2015 of of reported UFO sightings. And they used this data to compile what I thought was, was really fascinating. It was what state are people most likely to see UFOs in. <gasps> They're weirdo gaby data nerds? They're so weirdo oh gaby data Did we nerd. black out and write this? Oh my gosh, Liz, we may have. <laughs> you would love it. Because not only are they going, okay, well, what state has the highest number of reported sightings? That's not good enough for them. They're going, right, but what, what sightings have a culture or a history that are more... Um, that make you more likely to share something that's kind of off key. You know, if, if you, what do they consider to be a culture that, that encourages that? um, They were saying that in the Southwest, like there is a lot of folklore that is still Hmm. talked about. Like people will still, I mean, not only about UFOs, you know, like Roswell and stuff like that, but there are certain places, like if you're in a culture that's more accepting of ghosts, so like Southern or, um, uh, us. Yeah, us, right? <laughs> Southern, or you and me. Um, but, like, the East Coast is typically more skeptical, buttoned up. So are there fewer mm-hmm. sightings? Maybe not, but there's fewer reported sightings. Wow, you know, so these guys are really thinking through oh, the methodology. I love they it. They were really going for it. So Washington is the, as far as their data says, it's the third state in the nation for number of UFO sightings. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, like our, our area, like uh, Idaho and Montana, were much, much lower on the list than that. So it's not, hmm. again, I feel like that's a more liberal state versus more conservative state or more. Um, a lot fewer commercial flights. Too. Fewer commercial flights. Also, they were looking at population density. I mean, yeah. And per capita. So they were uh, saying that there were in that. 14-year time span, there were 5,226th total sightings reported to the National UFO Database in Washington. Mm -hmm. And nationwide, the most commonly reported UFO appears as a light. That's 13% of all sightings in the data set is people reporting a light moving erratically. You know, so... They're not just doing like extraterrestrial UFOs by its very definition. It's an object that's flying that you can't identify. Yeah. So people are often reporting satellites or they could be reporting Mm -hmm. a meteor or whatever. But I just thought it was really cool that if you go read this uh, Seattle PI article, which I will link in the show notes, or if you, of course, go check out UFO sightings desk reference by Cheryl and Linda Costa, you will be able to find this whole really cool data set on what's the most likely sighting to be reported. 
Whoa. Just really cool. Yeah, do cool. people know that, that the National UFO Reporting Center is in Washington, too? It's like 50 miles north of me right now. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> we're such yeah, a- it's been around forever. It used to be in Seattle, oh. but they moved to a bunker. Wow. Like you do. <laughs> They keep really good stats, and it makes other it makes it easy for other organizations like the author you're talking about, or like Slate's used their stuff. Oh, yeah. The Economist has used their stuff yeah. because it means that you can actually play around and say like, okay, well, the Economist was like, do most sightings happen during the hours when people are most likely to be intoxicated, <laughs> or awesome. is it most likely to happen? You know, wh- how do we see the spike during a meteor shower mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. this, that, or the other? So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and they that's really they were cool. definitely talking about. About how this data shows, you know, in the southern states, it's not the reportings don't spike seasonally because the weather mm-hmm. they, you know, uh, assume the weather is staying like constant enough all twelve season, uh, all twelve seasons, all four seasons, <laughs> all twelve months. Oh my goodness, the weather's staying constant enough. People are outside and enjoying outdoor activities all year round. Whereas up here in the Pacific yeah. Northwest, of course, they spike in the summer months when it's warm enough yeah. to be outside enjoying uh enjoying the weather at night yes that makes sense and especially like that's when you would be camping or hunting or totally. other things that would lead you to be far enough outside of town that you actually could have a good view of abnormal lights mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah give you a reason to look huh. up i really liked that i i like how it's sort of a mix of not showy but plausible mm-hmm. and intriguing and then we have this other one which would be very dramatic except it was completely fake except it was totally bogus dude what a bunch of baloney or or did the military start sniffing around because bad stuff started happening and they got to them and they <gasps> canted everything maybe that's it maybe they paid them off chrisman and doll were just those poor men they were patsies they were totally fall guys they had a legit piece of alien metal or alien aluminum and my goodness, the army was like, you better be quiet or bad things are going to yeah. happen, man. <gasps> Maybe the plane that crashed with the lieutenants didn't even. They just had to go into hiding and invent drinks that were mixed iced tea and lemonade. You are not going to let that go, are you? That- no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it. I also need more people to know what an Arnold Palmer is because I go through phases when I'm like, that's all I want to drink at a restaurant oh, because I don't like soda. Yeah. And sometimes I'm trying not to caffeinate myself through the goddamn stratosphere. So I'm like, all right, let me cut this with something. And then I feel like it's absolutely a coin flip and I lose either time. So either I say Arnold Palmer and they have no idea what I'm talking about and I have to explain yeah. it. Or I say half iced tea, half lemonade. And they say, oh, an Arnold Palmer? Like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> and I'm like, I just, I don't know why I care, but I care. I don't know why you care either. What you could do is get out ahead of them and be like, could I get an Arnold Palmer? You know, half iced tea, half lemonade. But now it sounds like I don't think they know their job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you don't, my dear. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh... Just bring me stray vodka. Oh, God. All right, folks. Well, <laughs> if you'd like to hear more about what Liz does and does not drink. Yeah, and my opinions. And her opinions on things, definitely engage with her on Facebook and Twitter, because that's where she's at. If you want my opinions, my sporadically posted opinions, come on over to Instagram, because I am letting that slide. My apologies. Uh, we have a website. We are on Podbean. We are on somewhere else. iTunes. That's the one. Mm-hmm. 
Fuck, man, we're all over the place. Mentally, I'm all over the place, and I think you can tell. (laughs) We have a Patreon where we would absolutely love it if you would toss a couple of dollars our way. But if you don't want to toss a couple of dollars our way, we still love you, and we would encourage you to go rate, review, and subscribe on your social media or podcatcher of choice so that other folks can find us and maybe they'll give us money. Yeah, maybe they will. Or I feel like we've had some really nice folks who have have taken on the the sponsorship level that entitles them to have a message read on the show. And then you've reached out and they've been like, no, it's okay. But if you do want to have a message read on the show, like you want us to tell everybody about your Etsy or whatever, it's not that expensive. Go check it out. No, it's awesome. It's super easy. Or you want us to shout out and be like, happy birthday or fuck, man, I'll propose to the love of your life for you. I'm really good at it. I have She's so proposed good at to one person, been proposed to once. I ask Liz to marry me like constantly and get turned down, but I bounce right the fuck back <laughs> to ask again. So I just. She's there for you. There for you. I'm good at it. I've got a lot of experience. So folks know we are kind of at the level where we are getting some offers about sponsorships from mostly other podcasts at this point. And. We may go that direction at some point, but so far I've turned them down because I don't want to go from being a show without ads to a show with ads without it being a good fit for our audience. But if you have stuff that you think our audience would really like, you should probably reach out and we can talk about totally. it. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, all right. carry on. Sorry, I just want to throw that no, in No, it's all good. It's all good. All right, my friends, whether you are of this world or another world, we have three things, of course, that we want you to do. We would like you to please live weird die weird and stay weird my friends Mm -hmm. thank you for listening we won't tell you not to say anything about it (laughs) liz wants you to sing like the peach you are